This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It is the match preview with myself, Andrew Musgrove and John Gibson. Manchester United, the visitors to St. James Park on Saturday. And they did away with the 3pm kickoffs. We're back to some wacky times, 8pm on a Saturday. Sorry guys, listening will be loving the fact you can get out on the drink beforehand. Others will think that's far too late. I'm sure you guys will let me know in the comments exactly what you think. I'll take you behind the curtain as well because me and John were originally going to record this on Wednesday and then I pushed it back until this morning, which is Thursday, because I had a little bit of a feeling things might go wrong with my United in Turkey against Galatasaray in the Champions League. And by God, John, wasn't I right? Oh, I, totally, absolutely. I mean, to be 2 0 up and 3 1 up uh, and then not be able to manage the game and see it out is horrendous. I mean, the, the big difference, the two sides meet this weekend, our United and their United, and we're both bitterly disappointed with Champions League midweek. But the big difference is that Manchester United's disappointment self-inflicted. Ours was not. Ours was inflicted by officialdom, by the referee, by Zvogai, uh, an absolute disgrace. But at the end of the and it's cost us uh, big time, and that results cost Manchester United big time. But when we go into the match on Saturday, we should be fired by what happened to us and say, right, come on, that was unjust. Whereas Manchester United will have seeds of doubt because it was self-inflicted. 2 0 up and 3 1. They were heading, and I was feeling quite apprehensive because they were heading for some week. I mean, they, they went into two very hostile away matches. Everton with a crowd that felt absolutely persecuted by the 10-point dropping and done them 3-0. And then, you know, welcome to hell. in uh, the 2-0 up and 3-1 up. So, you know, you think, bye, haven't they done well away from home in two hostile environments like that? But then they reminded us of what we already know which is Manchester United can't defend, so you're always in with a chance against them. And um, the goalkeeper starts throwing them in, the back four look as uh, secure as a chocolate teapot. And uh, there we were, 3-3. So that gives us more heart than them. Certainly does. And yeah, you mentioned the score lines there in, in Turkey. And it's one thing, I think, John, to throw it away or to concede the goal and, and finish the game level. But it's another thing, as you say, to have the errors of your goalkeeper, I know, 70, 80 million this guy cost. And I can't, for the life of me, see why my United got rid of David Deere, who, OK, was likely to make a mistake every now and then, but he was a very good goalkeeper. I mean, last season, the amount of points that he won Manchester United through some superb saves, countless points. This season around his replacement, Onana, he couldn't catch a cold. He's absolutely all over the place. And the big yeah, difference, the I think, John... Just to make a point is that Nick Pope comes into this game having played arguably his best game for Newcastle United. Onana comes into this game 
And he's had so many bad games, it might not even be the worst game he's he's played for Man United. Oh, it, it's quite amazing. And you've got to remember that the gear um, prevented Pope getting uh, the gloves for the goalkeeper of the year because of the number. Though I think that's a, a stupid, stupid, stupid way of deciding who it is, the number of clean sheets, because he had 17 clean sheets or something to gear. But he also let seven in it. Was it Liverpool or somewhere? And they, I mean, they, you know, it was crazy that he was the best goalkeeper last year. But having said that, Den Hogg got rid of a Manchester United legend, which unquestionably De Gea is, to bring in this guy, who is his old goalkeeper at Ajax, wasn't he? Which is why he brought him in. He used to have him there. So that's why he had the faith in him, although he come from Italy. Um, he was his old goalkeeper. Uh, and he, I mean, last night he was frightening. I mean, the the the, the two free kicks, etc. He was absolutely frightening. My only worry is that he was so bad. Does he get dropped on uh, on Saturday? I want him to play. I mean, he will make some superb saves, flinging himself across goal uh, to to pull off some incredible saves, and then drop absolute clangers. And of course, the back four he's got in front of him isn't going to. Uh, help too much either so um yes it was a it was a good result for newcastle the one the previous night was a travesty of justice to to have to have worked so 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 hard till the 98th minute the last time i felt as bitter as that is last season when we lost in the 98th minute at liverpool on isaac's debut can you remember when they scored in the 98th minute down at liverpool and I felt the sense of injustice there. But at least it, that was a goal that happened in general play. This was never a penalty. It struck him on the chest and rolled down his arm, which was in a natural position. So in no way is it a penalty whatsoever. And if you if you noticed on television, the moment the referee sort of went up, up, like he was going to, there was going to be a debate here, Vars obviously looking at it, Bruno went straight up to the referee and said, in English, it hit him on the chest and did this on the chest. Now, when you then, you could say, well, a, a defender with the team that's on the wrong end is going to say that. But it was actually true. When you saw it, it did hit him. Now, this is the best referee in the world. He had the World Cup final and he had the Champions League final. He is the best referee. And by the way, I think he is. And I think the game he had before the penalty, it was absolutely superb. But when he when he refereed these big showpiece games, he had the same guy from his same country, Poland, as his VAR man then, as he had at this game. And for him to say and to suggest that that was a penalty was criminal. Now, it is no... And by the way, I don't excuse the ref because the ref can still go across and look at the screen and might he mightn't have all the, the good angles that uh, to see exactly what was happening, but he should have seen, why do I turn this into a penalty when I haven't given the penalty? There's nothing I'm watching now that, that justifies doing that. I have watched Michael Oliver, who's the best referee in the Premier League, and he's a Geordie, by the way, I've watched him go over to a screen and stick by his decision and go against Vaughan say, no, I'm sticking with whether that decision was a goal or a penalty. 
he stuck to his decision and didn't change it after watching the screen. And I thought it so that I'm not going to excuse the referee. And it is no good to Newcastle whatsoever that the VAR guy was, is then stood down by UEFA for the next game. Because this game could cost Newcastle United millions if they now don't qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League. And perhaps, theoretically, the, the Europa League as well is at stake. But this costs Newcastle a fortune and it costs the fans the glory after 20 years. It's been ripped out of their hands by a wrong decision yet again. And, of course, it's, it's taken the onus away. It is no longer on the last day of the Champions League in Newcastle United's hands. It's in Paris Saint-Germain's hands. Because if they win their last game, albeit at Dortmund, then it doesn't matter what we do. We're out of the Champions League. Maybe it's not the Europa League. That result matters, but we're out of the Champions League. But I'll be truthful. I think we're anything but out of the Champions League. I think that this will happen for Newcastle. For a start, we're all searching for Lady Luck. Wherever she's hiding, we want her to come out and stand in the middle of the road and smile at us once more because, by Jove, shows us that with the, with the injury list we've had and now these decisions we're getting. Let's find Lady Luck before we play on Saturday night because she, we need her desperately. But I think we will beat AC Milan. And if, if Paris Saint-Germain only draw in Dortmund... As long as we win, we go through because we'll have the same points, but we've got a better head-to-head than than they with the goals, yeah, yeah. So we go, we go through, Um, and I'm just, I honestly think Dortmund won't stack the hand. Had it been the away game, because I've already qualified, now I worry is the stack the hand put in half the reserve side and get beat by Paris Saint-Germain, and that's Newcastle tucked up. I think if the game had been in Paris, with them already qualified, that probably would have happened. But they're playing at home with 80,000 there, the yellow wall. Are you going to stack your hand at home? Um, when early in the competition, you after two games, Newcastle were top and they were bomb. Um, and I don't think Dortmund will stack the hand at home. And as long as we take care of business at St. James's Park, Paris Germain's got to win in Dortmund. And I'll tell you one thing, Andrew, they're not a good side. We've been a much better side over the two games against Paris Saint-Germain than they've been. Um, they never they never led against us in the two games. They're not a good side. They're packed with big names, and that makes a lot of people think they're a good side. But you watch Mbappé in both games. Is he the best player in the world? He's supposed to be, but not on the performance in the two games. His mind's already on his next transfer. And I think that this is far from a lost cause. But thank you very much to the referee. I've sent him a gift voucher in the post for Specsavers for my Christmas present to him because, by Jove, it's about time he uh, he had a good look at himself. It 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 is awful. It was unjustified. But hey, there's there's a lot of pluses to be taken out of that game. There is, and I think the the question after something like that is always how does Eddie Howe pick his players up? But I I think given the performance, 
and what actually happened and just how it, it, how baffling it was and how we do feel like he's been robbed. I don't actually think he'll need to pick his side up. I think he might have to look at them and, and see which which one, two or three are tired because he didn't make any substitutions. But in terms of the spirit and the mood, I think they'll be in good spirits. And I think the fact that they have suffered some kind of injustice will just motivate them, inspire them more to put in an even better performance against Manchester United on Saturday. Oh, 100%. The feeling of injustice has done Eddie's job for him in terms of team uh, talk because the togetherness that they've got, and they've got a phenomenal togetherness. Uh, by the way, something Manchester United have not got. They've got a phenomenal togetherness. And uh, so the injustice is to... Eddie's job on Saturday night is can these players go to the well once more? Because... The same 11 started against Chelsea and started in Paris. And as you rightly mentioned, in Paris, they played 100 minutes and not one substitution was used. Has Eddie Howe ever done that since he came to Newcastle? Not used one sub in the match? I don't think so, off the top of my head. Um, I think it's happened once, maybe. I think once he didn't use a sub. I might be wrong. But anyway, yeah, the point is that he didn't use any. And, and the point is that he would have done had he had a bench because... Yes. There's some of them, the last 10 minutes, bless them, they were dragging the legs around the pitch. They were physically and mentally exhausted, but never, never, never give up the fight. But they desperately needed um, to, to get subs on. But we didn't have subs. We had less subs than we did against Chelsea because Kraft and Ritchie weren't available out there. I mean, it really was <laughs> absurd. It really was absurd out there. And... Um, they did phenomenally well, but can I mean there's not much wiggle room left for for the team selection against them um, uh, against Manchester United. Yes, Kraft's back and Richie's back to go on the bench with Hall and Dummett, but the only possibility in, if changing the starting eleven would be if Longstaff makes it. Yes, you could put in Dummett and and Kraft. Is your two centre backs who were there's two centre backs up Manchester United in the League Cup and we kept a clean sheet. But I'm not certain if you were if any of Newcastle players were exhausted and needed resting, that it would be the two centre halves. Where you play compact as centre halves, you're not running all over the place. For me, the two guys that have run themselves into the ground because of the positions they play and because of the way they play those positions is our two wide men. Almerian and Gordon, who I think are absolutely essential to the way we play. With a high press and a high octane type of, of performance, they get up, down, up, down, up, down, wide. And I think players, I think teams look at Renau and say, Newcastle are difficult to play against because of the way they play. But I think they see the secret to the way we play is Almerian and Gordon. I thought Gordon was absolutely crucified by Chelsea. Uh, in, in hitting him and whacking him, and I thought Almirian, if he started the game at five foot eleven, he must have finished at three foot eleven because they cut his legs often so often out there. And I think two of them can they go to the wall and do it again? And yes, one of them might get a rest in the second half against Manchester United when Richie comes on, but but you don't want to start Richie instead of one of them because Richie can't play that high octane game. Yeah, well, I think if you're relying on two players who are very energetic but are okay playing again after such a short turnaround, I think you are relying on Gordon 
and Almiron because they've got such stamina, they've got such an engine on them. Yes, you'd like to give them a rest. Yes, you would like to have taken them off against PSG after an hour, 70 minutes, what have you. But I'm not too worried about them on Saturday. I think that they both will start. I think, but actually, I mean, you look at it, he can't really make any changes. I think the one change he might make, potentially, well, he's even saying that. I was going to say Lewis Hall coming in, but I think Livermento will be fine. I think Trippier will be fine. I think he'll play the same team. I think he'll start with the same team, actually, John. Well, he hasn't got much choice. Unless yeah. Longstaff is fit, he's got no choice. Because we don't you expect don't... anyone to be back. We don't expect anyone to be back no. in time. No. There's only evidently, supposedly, an outside chance of Longstaff, which might mean the bench and get a little while out of him. I don't know. But nobody else is going to come back. So he hasn't got any mig- uh, wiggle room. You're not going to start Kraft and, and, and Dummett at the centre of your defence. You're not going to start Richie because those days are long gone, or you ought not to, which only leaves Hall. Um, and I know he scored his goal against Manchester United in the League Cup down there. But the last two people you need to move are the two fullbacks, because uh, Trippier and uh, Livermore, because they've been absolutely magnificent. Trippier is as fit as a, a lop. He is incredible. And uh, Livermore is just a Rolls Royce and he's just come in the side and he's adoring it. So you're not going to, there's no need to change those two. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I guess one thing that could happen is Hall could come in at left back. And if Miggy or uh, Gordon are feeling a little bit tired, then potentially Livermento moves up and plays out on the wing, which he can do. And it wouldn't necessarily be the worst sort in the world. But I agree with you. I think if everyone has enough in their the tank, you want that consistency. And, and those two at full back, yeah, and Livermento have played ever so well. So you don't want to change it unless you really have to. When you look at the bench, and obviously there was a bit of having to stick to ridiculous UEFA rules, wasn't it, against PSG and, and players couldn't play either because they weren't registered or even more bizarre, some of the youngsters like Amadou Diallo couldn't be on the bench because you have to be at the team for more than two years. And he's a youngster. I mean, ridiculous rules. But that's, 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 you can fill that in with bar yeah. and the handball rule. But you look at the bench and you, you probably are looking at a bench of Diallo, Alex Murphy, Matt Ritchie, Kraft, Dummett, and Andweeny, Ben Parkinson. It's going to be a very uh, young bench once again. It is. And it's, going to, it, and it's a very imbalanced bench. You know, you can say that Kraft and Hall and Dummett do well, but theoretically, although Hall can push forward, they're all three central defenders. Uh, Ritchie, you know, you're lucky to get half an hour out of him now. But we haven't got any game changers on the bench. We haven't got a centre forward. We haven't got uh, Harvey Barnes or Murphy. We haven't got a, a, an extra midfielder like Willock or Longstaff that's going to come. We haven't got game changers. We've only got defenders, and they're not going to change a game because if you you know if you're behind, it's pointless putting the defender on. 
Um, and if you ahead, that might be the only chance if you need to. But we haven't got game changers. The bench is very... It'll have two keepers on it again. Against Chelsea, it had three keepers on it. Um, that's how bad off we are. Well, Ben Parkinson, uh, Michael Andrini and, and, and Amio Diallo might, might argue with you there, John, and say, if I get my chance, I will prove to John Gibson I can be a game changer. And I want to ask you about... I would, I, would love, I would love to see that, but honestly, you wouldn't go down to Ladbrokes and stick your money on it, would you? Well, you'd get good odds, wouldn't you? Um, well, yeah, but he, the odds don't matter if the bet's wrong. Very true. I mean, Isaac's the interesting one, isn't it? And the bigger picture is the, the injury to Callum Wilson... Obviously, Isaac's come back from the injury he's had, but Newcastle have nowhere else to turn. They have no other out-and-out strikers other than Michael Andweeney, but obviously he's very raw, very young. Now, are you concerned about Isaac managing the workload? You know, comes off against Chelsea with, what, 10 minutes to go, and Andweeney came on from, didn't come off against PSG. By the end of the game... As I said on yesterday's podcast, he looked like he couldn't trap a bag of cement. He was that tired. He's going to have to start again against Manchester United. I think he will start. But what are we looking at? 50 minutes an hour? Like, yeah, I think yeah. Andrini will get more minutes under his belt on, on Saturday at some point against Manchester United, just simply because Isaac, I, I don't think after such a long layoff, John, you can be 100% and you cannot ex be expected to play every game. Isaac doesn't come back and hit the ground running after an after injury. He comes back and needs two or three games to be the player we know he is. And by the way, let's establish once and for all, he's a fabulous player with wonderful feet, wonderful vision, runs in behind, torments people, etc., etc. But and it may sound a stupid thing to say when he's come back and in the two games he's played, he's scored in both because he scored against Chelsea and he scored the goal there. But I'll tell you something, that isn't the exact way no in either of those games. And nor could we expect it to be. I mean, of course he was tired. Of course he should have been subbed um, for his own sake in Paris because he can't last 90 minutes yet. But he had to last the 90 minutes in Paris. But he is he missed two great chances against Chelsea that he would normally put away. And he missed another excellent chance um, in Paris. Uh, and yes, he got a tap in in Paris. And yes, he got a wonder ball from Lewis Miley that left him clear against Chelsea. And he took them away all day long. <coughs> Excuse me. But he has not looked in a game of heroes in both those games, in a team of heroes, he was a hero, but he wasn't 100% fit. There's no question. And yes, he scored two goals and may, may have exactly the same sort of game on Saturday, not play, be up the scratch, but score, because that'll do us fine. But it wasn't the exact we know he can be. That will come in the next couple of weeks. But it wasn't in either game there. And he was desperately in need of a rest against them in Paris and it didn't come. He's got to start because what's the alternative on Saturday night? You move Gordon A, who's already exhausting, you move Gordon A, who's not a finisher, uh, although he's improving on that, and then who do you play outside left? So, no, Isaac starts, but um, yes, we're, we're going to the well. You, you know what? We're getting a miracle every game we play. And then you think, I mean, nobody expected us to beat Chelsea 4-1. Not 4-1. And we did. Nobody expected us to go to to uh, 
Paris Saint-Germain and win. And by the way, we did. It was only the referee that stopped it. We did go to Paris Saint-Germain and win 1-0. Um, so, you know, but uh, we ask in miracles, time into... We haven't even got a, the tiniest bit of wiggle room at all. You look at our bench. And honestly, I mean, the pre-match meal must be rusks because, you know, they're still cutting their teeth. I mean, it is incredible. Um you know, that that bless them in football terms, we've either got OAPs or, or kids on rusks. And that's what our bench is at the moment. Mm. I mean, it reaffirms the quality player Isaac is. If we're both saying we don't think he's 100% fit and he's still scoring two goals against two decent or one of the best sides in the world and, and, and Chelsea. I do worry, though, about how he manages the workload. You've got Everton coming on the Thursday, then you've got Spurs on the Sunday and then the game against Milan. I mean... It's a horrible, horrible schedule. And I do think at some point he might have to start. He might have to start in Dweeney up front. He might have to move Gordon up there and then bring in Livermento on the left and Lewis Holt left back. There's going to be a game where Isaac is on the bench because I just don't think you can you can expect him to play as many minutes as, as he's going to have to with Wilson out. And it reaffirms, John, our belief. Because it is our belief, and I'm sure a lot of people yeah. listening to this now would do see where we're coming from that they need to go out and get um, a striker of, oh. of, of real quality in, in January. Just on the on the Chelsea result, I just want to read you a message from my uh, from my father, and he texted me on Sunday morning to say, "Did you tell John Gibson that he knows Nout?" And I said, "Why, Dad?" He said, "Oh, well, because he predicted a draw and you predicted a win." And I thought, "Yeah, maybe, maybe I should." Well, I know that I've wasted 50-odd years of following Newcastle and going to all the World Cups all over the world because I know now, and tell you, old man, that's the last time I'll work for him in his book. Uh, no, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I did. I did. And I would have been... And when I got the team sheet, by the way, we're up at St James's Park and I saw the subs bench, I would have settled for one more again, uh, which is what I, I was thinking. And... Um, and the reason I'm so elated about Newcastle is that they're producing a miracle every game. I mean, we were, if people tell the truth and admit the fear in the heart, there was a lot of people that would have a fear that we could be swamped at Paris Saint-Germain because they're a good home side, but not a good away side. And because of our, if we could put out our full teams, we would win a trophy this season. And we might still, by the way, in the League Cup. And, and we haven't even started the FA Cup. But we are defying odds. And we're asking players to do it game after game. And you know what they are. And isn't that fabulous? But by everything that's sane, you know, you've got to think that there's going to be a day of reckoning and all I'm looking for is two things I'm looking for I'm looking into the distance to see a posse coming over the brow of the hill which is all the guys coming back to help us out after the injuries and I'm just looking for a, a referee with decent vision and, uh, and a lot of courage now if we get both of them we'll be perfectly alright and I've already said at the beginning of this podcast is that I think we can still make the Champions League because I think we will beat AC Milan and I don't think Paris Saint-Germain will win in Dortmund. They might get a draw, though I think they could lose. They might get mm. a draw, but I think that we can still be in the Champions League. 
Yeah, and getting that momentum ahead of that game against Milan on the 12th of December is, is really important. I mean, the, the reason I mentioned there that the, the text off my dad, which was, of course was, was jovial, um, was my reason for being so confident against Chelsea, despite all the injuries and despite the fact Newcastle had lost to Bournemouth and Dortmund, was the home form. St James's Park is a fortress. And again, you know, I'm feeling confident on Saturday. Um, even if my night had got the Galatasaray, and thumped them five or six nil. I'd still be feeling confident, even the fact that um, my United are, are flying quite nicely in the form table. One defeat in the last six to one five. I don't know how because nearly every one of those games have been goddamn awful. And maybe Everton aside, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Newcastle were robbed against PSG. It doesn't matter that my United might be in good form domestically. They're coming to St James's Park, which. Nobody likes doing. And you chuck in the fact, John, that Newcastle United fans are feeling robbed. They're feeling aggrieved. You know, it was already already going to be a great atmosphere. That 8pm kickoff lends itself to that. But I tell you what, what happened on Tuesday is just going to ramp it up a level. Me and Dad produce his tweet, whether you agree with it, whether you don't, that's going to ramp it up a level. The fact Manchester United, you know, one of those teams you love to beat, that's going to ramp it up a level. It's just at home, and I am fully confident that every magical element about St James's Park that has rung true so far this season with the home form will shine through again on Saturday. Yeah, uh, I believe that. We're both biased because we're Geordies, but uh, I do believe that, and the home record is good. What you could say, and I was worried after 60 minutes of Manchester United and Istanbul, you could say they've just gone away this week, this last week into two of the most hostile environments. And by the way, I think Manchester United have got all the resistance of a chocolate teapot. Like, um, But having said that, they went to uh, Everton, who were the crowd and the players totally aggrieved by the 10 points deduction, and they whopped them 3-0, mainly because of the little Argentinian with his overhead kick at the start. And then they go to the place from L. Welcome to hell in the 2 0 up and 3 1 up in the little Argentinians scored a goal in the first 10 minutes again. And they're playing well at that stage. So they'd gone into two hostile environments this last week away from home and done exceptionally well. Then blew it, of course, because they are chocolate teapot uh, at the end with the two goals that went in. But don't tell me now, I can see the mouth opening like that fish that I didn't catch in the time the other day. Don't tell me that they. The, the atmosphere at Everton when they were so uh, begrudged and uh, by the 10-point rule and at Galatasaray is not going to be as hostile from the away team's point of view as St James's Park will be because well, that, would Galatas- be all, that would be almost impossible. Yeah, I mean, Galatasaray is, is an atmosphere that is is pretty much unrivaled. But Everton, I don't know, Janet. Look, I know they had the little placards and obviously they made a lot of noise, a lot of booing, but it wasn't it wasn't directed at, at the away side. I think that's going to be maybe the, the difference. And, I, you know, they were feeling sorry for themselves. It was it was aimed at the Premier League. And also, with all due respect to Everton, they're a crap team. Newcastle United, even despite the injuries, are not. And that's that's the other difference as well. But I just think... The atmosphere we'll see on Saturday will be a total different one to what it was like at Goodison, and it will be aimed at getting on top of the rear side, making sure that they know that this is our house, that you're not welcome here, that you won't have it easy. And plus, as I say, Newcastle 
I just a better side than Everton. You push that together, John. Look, that's absolutely true. That's it's going to happen for Newcastle. That's that's absolutely true. Um, it wasn't true with Galatasaray, where uh, that was directed at Manchester United. And that was as vicious as you can get with the atmosphere. And it always is, of course, whoever goes to Galatasaray. And they have the same uh, capacity as Newcastle United. Um, but And they, they had some good players. But where Manchester United, I was going to use the word lucky, and I don't feel that does them a lot of justice. But what was the turning point in both those games was that they went ahead in the first five minutes. It was the same kid that did it, both. But that silences the crowd. That if it had stayed at North North at Everton for a while, and certainly in Galatasaray, then it would have become more fearsome and more fearsome for Manchester United. But they got off to a good start. But they can't defend. And you're right, Everton are nowhere near the team that Newcastle United are, even with all the injuries they have got. And by the way, I've already gone on record elsewhere and said that I think Newcastle win on Saturday, despite all the injuries. And it's just that we always ask this side to go beyond and beyond. And that's something they're wonderful at. They've got so much spirit. I mean, fear, they don't know the word. I mean, they don't recognise the word fear. It's only got four letters in it, but they can't find it in the dictionary. And that's wonderful. And, you know, if you could bottle what Newcastle have got, it is quite, quite, quite amazing. Um, because there was, what, something like 14 players not available at Paris Saint-Germain when you, when you take in the Richie and Craftwin, who will be this time, thankfully. Um, it's absolutely crazy. It's crazily wonderful. And uh, Newcastle, since Eddie Howe's come in, in the last season and a half, when he, he first had to get established against relegation, and that took a few weeks right after he appeared. But after that, we've just defied logic. Apart from anything else, we've defied logic. And uh, that is quite something, quite, quite something. It certainly is. Um, Manchester United have got a few injuries of their own as well. Ericsson, Casemiro, Martinez, Mount all out injured. Um, unlikely, we think, to be back for Saturday. So they are missing some 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 stars. Um, I mean, Casemiro always seems to be the one that that, that frustrates Newcastle. Obviously, scored in the uh, the cup final, didn't he? Uh, but they're, they're still, John, despite everything I've just said, despite the fact that I do think Newcastle will win, they are still a team that can hurt you. I mean, look, they are a place and a point above Newcastle in the league. As I mentioned, top of the form table or thereabouts. They've got a really good away record as well. Although they're not too good against teams in and around them in the, in the top six, seven. So that'll work in Newcastle's favour. But look, Newcastle United, they're going to be tyres. They might be thinking about what happened on Tuesday, but they, they can't allow that to, to see them switch off against Manchester United because if Rashford gets an effort, um, you know, he'll likely punish you for it. Yeah, uh, and and Fernandez. And I mean, rest, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not a great fan of him as a skipper because he always looks as if he's uh, lost a five and found a pound, didn't he? Um, yeah, so I, I don't think he strikes me as someone like you want in the trenches. He's not a Jamal LaSalle no. captain, is he? No, 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 he's not that sort of player. But what he is, for a midfielder, he's a wonderful finisher. Uh, he scores goals. And the last thing you want is the ball to break to him in, in, in a 
shooting position because before you close them down, it'll be in the back of the net. They do carry uh, good players. But when you buy as many as they buy and over the odds, you pay over the odds to make certain you get them, you're bound to have one or two good players. But you've also got one or two. We something, There's a myth that every player that's bought above, say, £50 million must be a good player. And they're not. And some of them are proving to be not, and then they're proving it, especially at Manchester United. I mean, we're saying Mount's out and they've got a lot of injuries. What what's he done since he went to Man U? He hasn't. Awesome. Done, he was. A, he looked a good kid at, at Chelsea originally, but what's he done at Man U? He's he's not a good player. I mean, there's a myth. There's a myth that Paris Saint Germain are a world class side. No, they're not. They're full of players who think they're world class. But over the two games, Newcastle were a much better side than Paris Saint-Germain and, and they're just full of sulking superstars like if Manchester United have got a few. Mbappé, the best player in the world, I think technically he is. But he's already looking at his next transfer in his mind. He's already on his way to Real Madrid or, or whatever. He, I tell you what, Lewis Miley's a 17-year-old kid from Stanley. He looked a better player on the night in the Parc de Prince than, than Mbappé did. Um, and and so did Livermanco, and they're just two kids trying to find their way. Um, Paris Saint Germain aren't the team they try to make out they are, and Manchester United aren't the team they try to make out they are. Yeah, well, one hundred percent. And I'm looking at the table here because I was going to point out that really, for where Newcastle United want to be, probably I don't like to say the word need to be winning on Saturday, but it, it would certainly help. But firstly, my United have only scored sixteen goals this season. I mean that is a that is a low tally for a team in the top six. In fact, let me just double check. If I'm reading this right, so Everton have scored 14, Sheffield United 11, Burnley 10, Luton Town 12, uh, Bournemouth 14. But I mean that's really low. 16 goals this season shows you that while they've got talented players, you know the goals aren't flowing. They've conceded 16, which is two more than Newcastle. Newcastle scored 31 goals this season, which is um. Which is quite something. But in terms of the league table, John, uh, my night are sixth, 24 points, Newcastle seventh with 23. But they're in a bit of a position there where you've got Brighton coming up behind Newcastle on 22. You've got West Ham coming up on 20. And then there's a drop to, to Chelsea down in 10th on 16. But above both my United and Newcastle, you've got Spurs on 26, Aston Villa on 28. So really, Newcastle need to be winning. Again, I use the word need. I'm not overly comfortable with it, but I'm going to use it just to be keeping in touch with the likes of Spurs, but more so the likes of Aston Villa and Liverpool. Yeah, they do. And under normal circumstances, and what's normal, by the way, we've forgotten what normal is because we haven't had it for so long. Under normal circumstances, we wouldn't be worried whatsoever. But what we need to do, because we want to climb the table, because, you know, you can't just live for today and say, well, you're still in the Champions League. You can be in the semi-final of the League Cup and we haven't even started the FA Cup. So what a fabulous season lies ahead for us. True. But you don't qualify for Europe in, unless you win one of those domestic trophies or we're getting the top four, top five, top six, if you take the Europa League. And that being the case... Newcastle need to win, in particular, two of the next three. Because having been, they've got to beat Manchester United, then we want to beat Everton, but then we go to Spurs. So it's in our hands. If we beat Man United and beat Spurs, then we can jump two places in the table very, very quickly. Um, but it's if, 
and and we've got to do that. And I mean, we're going off at a tangent. You've talked about how it's a fortress that's in James's Park and by Jove it is, and this is the piece I've written for my column tomorrow as well. But when we get round to looking at what Newcastle have got to do to get in the top four this season, the home record is magnificent. Their way record in the Premier League is not. We've won one game, it's that fabulous 8-0 at Sheffield United, but we've won one game and we've lost three. Last season, we only lost three away Premier League games all season. I think we won eight and drew eight and lost three. Um, we have now, what, won one, drawn two and lost three. After we play Manchester United, we're away to Everton and away to Spurs. We have not got to lose either of those games because our away record is what's making with seventh instead of fourth at the moment. And I know we're asking a lot. I've just said, can we ask any more of this squad? But... Sorry, when you live in the elite end of the world, you ask big questions all the time. And Newcastle have got to improve after Manchester United have got to improve their way league results. Yeah, and look, anyhow, we'll be well aware of that away record and he won't shy away from the questions about it either. He'll know that they have to improve. They are going to indeed get into the top four. He won't be making any, any excuses about the injuries or, or the schedule either, which is always refreshing to see. I think we know, John, how this is going to go, but um, we'll do it anyway. We'll sign off um, on the result predictions yourself. How is it uh, going to go on Saturday for Newcastle? I think Newcastle are going to win, and I'm not just saying that for Dad, although I know it'll get him off my back. Your dad I'm talking about. <laughs> but yes, no, I do think we will win. I'm asking them to go to the well again. The biggest danger for Newcastle on Saturday, I think, is not Manchester United. It is ourselves being so shattered and having wearing a straitjacket. Team selection-wise, we're in an absolute straitjacket. Um, and it would be terribly, terribly unfair to expect three academy kids to come on and win the game for us because they're not at that level yet. I mean, it's incredible to ask Miley. It's incredible to ask Miley at 17 to produce the performance he did against Chelsea and then do it again against Paris Saint-Germain. In his Premier League first start, and his Champions League first start, what a player he is and what a player he's going to be and what a player Levermento is, man. I mean, Dan Byrne, bless him, must be lying down in a darkened room watching um, what Levermento is taking advantage of the injury situation to produce the performance. You can't leave him out the team. And he's not a left-back, he's a right-back. But he's he, he, but Trippier is a right-back. Trippier and Levermenko, his two full-backs, are fabulous. And well done us. I think, yes, I think they'll produce one more huge performance while they're waiting for the cavalry to come over the hill. I think they'll produce one more huge performance. I think it'll be... Probably 2-1. I don't like doing scores, but I mean, I'm trying to emphasise the tightness of it. If it's 1-0, it's still tight. It, I, I don't think we're going to run away 4-1 like we did against Chelsea, although who knows, we, we might. Um, I certainly would if we had a, a decent bench, I would I would look for 4-1. But it doesn't matter 4-1. What matters is the figure three, and that's the number of points we want. And um, I do think we'll get them. Uh, I think it'll be tough. I think we'll be saying after the game, what a magnificent bunch this is again. Do they ever know when they're beaten? And Nan says, no, they don't. And I hope we're both right on that. I am expecting us to win. Yep, yeah, I'm going to go for a victory. I'm also going to say it's going to be 3-1. I'm going to throw a curveball in Matt Ritchie to get the third. 
Now that is that is a curveball, and I think he's absolute stonewall certainly to get on, and I think he would deserve it because he's been a super servant to Newcastle United. I'm not suggesting he is going to score, but I, I am suggesting he'll get on, and he would deserve it if he got it. The one thing I think Newcastle need to do that they didn't do in the first half against Chelsea, they did a little bit more in the second half, is pepper the box. Get that ball into that box. You know that goalkeeper is a flapper. Every time he goes to catch the ball, it looks like it's a hot potato. Shoot on sight and you will score goals. If I don't know what the weather forecast is going to be, but it's going to be, I imagine it's going to be cold, might be a bit of snow in the air. They're not going to like that. He's not going to like that. Get in his face, shoot on sight. The goals will come. Hopefully, John, we're right about the, at least about the, the, the result anyway. And a pleasure, yeah. as always. And that's and, all. Um, all that matters is the result. And I think the result will be a Newcastle win. Uh, I want Ten Hag to be very sympathetic to Geordie's and Picky's goalkeeper first and foremost because that would be a help. Uh, I don't want him particularly dropped or the famous phrase managers use these days, rested, um, drops the actual thing. Please play him and please Newcastle go out and do what you deserve because you really do deserve it. And by the way, if anybody's hiding Lady Luck, Bring her out before Saturday night. Yeah, hopefully we get that look on our side. This has been the Everything Is Black and White podcast, the match preview. Thank you very much for tuning in. Please subscribe or follow, depending on which platform you're watching us through. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle news, including Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday and live coverage of this game through our dedicated live blog on Saturday evening for myself and John. See you guys very soon.